Keeping it real with Jared Lawrence. Lord, it's so hard living this life. A constant struggle each and every day. Some wonder why I'd rather die than to continue living this way. Many are blind and cannot find the truth of no one seems to really know. But I won't accept that this is how it's going to be. To let me and my people go Cause I wanna be free Completely free Lord won't you please come and save me I wanna be free Totally free I'm not gonna let Welcome to Keeping It Real with Jared Lawrence That was Goody Mob, Free, a great intro to a great album. It's off the Soul Food album. If you've never heard it, make sure you listen to it. Goody Mob, Soul Food, a lot of gems dropped on that album. One of my top five albums of all time. Um, I've always said my top five albums of all time are Goody Mob, Soul Food, Goody Mob, Still Standing, Outcast Equimini. I don't remember what my other three were. But those are my, like, top three. Anything else after that, whatever. We could just throw it in there. Those are my top three, though. So I don't, I don't really have a top five. Probably a Joe Budden album in there somewhere. Oh, Joe Budden, All Love Lost is in there. That's one of my favorites, too. And then I don't know what my fifth album of all time would be. I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll get back to you on that. But this is Keeping It Real with Jerry Lawrence. I'm back after a week. I know some people have been asking where the show is. Just wanted to let you guys know that um, I have a new work schedule. I think I mentioned this on the last episode, but from here on out, my days off are Wednesday and Thursday. So if um, you're expecting the podcast on Tuesday, it's probably not going to happen. I'm going to edit all of that out. So I've learned how to edit stuff now where if I take a break or if I have to take a sip of water instead of just doing it and talking about it. Well, I'm going to still talk about it, but you won't have that long like break, that long 10-second pause of me taking a sip of water because I can just cut that out. So I got to remember to go back and do that later. But with that being said, it's been a interesting day, to say the least. We have a lot to get to. Uh, we had the John Lewis funeral today, which I did watch. I will give my thoughts on that. Rest in peace to Herman Cain. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Rest in peace to Garrett Foster. If you don't know who he is, we're going to talk about that. But before I even get to anything, like I said, going forward, I will be recording on Wednesdays, either Wednesday or Thursday, because those are my days off now. So I don't really have a specific day in mind, like whether it's going to be every every Wednesday or every Thursday. It's just going to kind of be up to how I'm feeling, what the vibe is, you know, Maybe I got something to do on Wednesday, so I got to record on Thursday. Maybe I got something to do on Thursday, so I record on Wednesday. So you know what? We're just going to like kind of go with the flow each week, but it will be one of those days 
for people like Courtney who who have been asking me, where's the art? Shout out to the Bodega Boys because you know they talk about the art too, and they started that whole like calling a podcast art. But I kind of took from that, and I consider this art too because one day people will come back and listen, and they're gonna be like, "Wow, this was some good stuff." He was ahead of his time, so I kind of you know. To me, I'm like putting this in a time capsule, which is not really a time capsule. It's really like SoundCloud, but or wherever the podcast goes. And then somebody can access it whenever, you know, when I'm not here, when I'm long gone, they'll come back and listen to it. But going forward, yes, Wednesday and Thursday is when you can expect the podcast. I'm going to try to be consistent with it. I don't know if I've said this on here, but my goal is to record um, one podcast a week. Like my goal is to have 52 episodes by the time we get to whenever I started around this time next year. I think I started late March. So whenever we get to that, that time, I want to have at least 52 episodes where I averaged an episode a week. If not, you know, it's still okay, but that's just like a goal I've set for myself. So I'm going to try my hardest to achieve that. It would mean a lot to me because it would mean that I've stayed consistent. You know, there's, there's days where I'm kind of tired and I don't want to record and this is kind of one of those days where I spent a little bit too much time on Facebook today and now I'm like drained. And I also like went for a walk around my neighborhood and I took a shower and I I had every intention of recording this episode at like nine o'clock. And here we are at 1137 and I'm recording. And I don't know if you guys know this, but whenever I do a podcast, it's like hard for me to go to sleep after. So I'm going to be like wide awake after this is all done and it kind of throws me off because I'll be up all night once I post it and everything. I'm just like, I don't know if it's like an excitement or whatever, but it's hard to go to sleep. So then I always stay up super late on the nights I record, which I probably need to start recording this during the daytime. I think that would probably be more productive. Get it out the way early in the day. You know, y'all got something to listen to at night or download it for your morning ride. Even though this will still be available if you got to drive somewhere tomorrow morning, it's still there, but probably need to start recording during the day because the late night thing, it just keeps me up too late. But also like what I'm going through right now is my air conditioning is not working properly. So I don't know when this happened. I, I It was some point during the day, but I, like my air, I could hear it on, but when I would go by the big old machine or whatever, it was just making like this like hissing noise. And I'm like, what the heck? It's not really as powerful as it needs to be right now. And I started getting worried. And of course those worries were true because lo and behold, it just was not pumping out the power it needed to be. And then, you know, you could tell when it's not working when the, when the temperature starts going up and up. So like right now we're sitting at about 82 in my house, which for me is not bad. Now there's some of y'all who would be struggling right now. Cause there's probably a lot of y'all, who love your house like cold, like my cousin Kenya, his wife likes that air on like 65. Like to me, that's ridiculous. But there's a lot of people I know like that. Like um, shout out to my boy Antonio, his wife, Naomi, like their air on like 60, 65, where these are like the type of people where you go to their house, you need a blanket or like a, a freaking what's the jacket, not the starter jacket, the bubble jacket. Like You got to go in there with the bubble jacket because it's so cold. And my house is not like that. Like, I like my air on about 78 if I'm by myself. If I have company, I can probably knock it down a couple. I could probably bring it to about a 76 for you. But if I'm just here by myself chilling, 
Yeah, 78 is is the move. That's what I'm comfortable with. I sleep pretty light. You know, I'm not wearing layers of clothing when I'm sleeping. Boxers and a T-shirt is just, you know, I'm home by myself. So, you know, I'm not one of those sleep naked people because I don't know why, but sleeping naked to me just does not feel comfortable. Maybe it's just too naked, you know? It doesn't feel right. Like, I've done it, and it just feels awkward. Like, I feel like I have to have something on. So, like, boxers and a T-shirt, I keep it light. Um, And then my blanket is really light, too. I don't have, like, the large comforter. So, for me, I'm already, you know, I don't, I don't need it super cold because I'm not bundled up, you know. I'm just kind of as limited as possible in the bed. Um. And yeah, I just kind of keep it, keep it light. And for me, the 78 works, but I know most people can't do it. A lot of y'all probably listening to this now. Like, what the hell are you talking about? 78 degrees in your house. Yo, 78 is what it is. Like, it feels good to me. I'm not sweating. I'm not freezing. I'm just at a nice, comfortable temperature, right? So like right now we're at 82. Now, this is uncharted territory for me like i'm not really an 82 guy that's a little hot but it actually doesn't feel like 82 right now it actually feels a little cooler in here and i'm not gonna lie to you i got my fans doing some work tonight too like not the fans that listen to this show but like the actual ceiling fans yeah i got the fans working like i never turn my fans on because like i said i'm comfortable with the 78 so i don't even feel the need to turn the fan on but today the fans are in motion, literally and figuratively. <laughs> Sorry, I meant this one. I meant, I meant the Kawhi laugh. The fans are in motion. They are doing more work than they probably ever done in this house. My bedroom fan especially, even though I went to my mom's house like for a couple nights last week just to spend the night because I saved on like gas driving back and forth from work. And I accidentally left the fan on in my bedroom, like, for two nights straight. I don't know what my electric bill is going to look like with that. It might be crazy. It might not. We'll see. But, yeah, all fans, I need them at attention. I need them ready for work over these next few days because there's no telling when I'm going to get this air fixed, man. I'm going to call these people, but I feel like a lot of people's air is breaking right now in the summer, so they probably not going to get to me quickly and then my hours you know i gotta work around the work schedule so who knows when i'll actually get the air fixed but that hopefully will be taken care of because i don't know if i can record this during the day with no air now at night i can do it like right now it's all right so that's probably the main reason why i'm recording tonight too that and procrastination um but like i said let's get to the topics we got john john lewis rest in peace had his funeral today which actually I didn't even know his funeral was going to be today. I knew, you know, I knew he was going to get the big broadcast because it just feels like recently everybody's been getting the big, like, funeral. Uh, George Floyd got it. Um, Aretha Franklin got it. Uh, somebody else got it recently, too. It was another one that I watched. But I've been watching, like, most of them when they're on TV. The Aretha one I did not watch. I heard it was, like, six hours long. But this John Lewis funeral, it was, like, two and a half hours long. And it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I Like I said, I didn't know what was coming on. I had went to Crystal's this morning, got myself breakfast, came back to the crib, started to eat my breakfast, turned the TV on, and my TV's always on, like, NBC for some reason. I don't know why. I guess that's the channel I watch the most. 
So as soon as I turned the TV on, because I was about to go straight to YouTube, because I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube. But as soon as I turned it on, the funeral was on. So I was like, all right. First, At first, I said, I'm not going to watch it. But then I was like, you know what? I probably need to watch it. Because the thing about funerals is, and I don't know, maybe y'all, maybe y'all will feel me on this too, but when, when you go to a funeral, I feel like you learn the most about a person. Like, probably more than you knew about them in their life just because, you know, you got the obituary that tells their whole story, and then you have the speakers that get, tell stories about them. And you just learn so much stuff that you never knew about somebody. So I do like to, like, watch the funerals or go to them just because I learn about more about that person. So I was like, let me watch this um, John Lewis funeral just so I can learn a little bit more about him as a person because I didn't know too much. You know, I knew a lot of, I knew a little bit about the civil rights stuff that they talk about. Uh, but I learned a little bit more. I learned, you know, the March, he marched with Dr. King. That's how he kind of got started by seeing Dr. King on TV and just being motivated to go out and help. And he was beaten, you know, he went through a lot on these marches. He walked across that Edmund Pettus bridge, which if you don't know that story, uh, super sad story. A lot of those protesters were beaten for walking across the bridge. Um, he he was in Congress for years after that. Like, it was just a great story. Like, and I think that's why he's being celebrated so much because of all the accomplishments and all that he's done for us and putting his life on the line, especially when he was younger, putting his life on the line to kind of make sure that we could get the rights that we have. You know, we're still fighting and everybody knows that it's going to be a long fight. We're not there yet, but without these people like John Lewis, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, like without those type of civil rights people, who knows where we would be. We might be further back right now, you know. We might be where we were in like 1970 right now. Maybe 1980 if we didn't have that. Like, I don't think we would have gotten this much progress without their contributions, so... I'm appreciative of that. Matter of fact, <laughs> give, him a, give him a hand. Um, it was a interesting funeral too. Just they had some good speakers, some good singers. Uh, Jennifer Holiday sang. BB Winans was there. It was BB and uh, I think his brother. Brother was there. CC wasn't there though, but BB was there, and another one was there. I forgot the other one's name. My apologies, but they did like this original song tribute to uh, John Lewis that was pretty dope. Matter of fact, if you guys get a chance, you might just want to watch it yourself. I'm sure they can still have the funeral up on YouTube because pretty much everything lives forever on there. So go ahead, check it out. Uh, there was a little controversy, though. A little controversy. Bill Clinton spoke. So when Bill Clinton got up there, you know, he starts telling these stories about John Lewis and uh, his come up and how he's admired him all this time. But Bill, Bill took some shots. Not at John Lewis, of course. Like, of course not. He didn't take shots at John Lewis. But Bill took some shots at Stokely Carmichael. And it caused a bit of an uproar, especially on Twitter. So, I don't know if y'all know the story. I had to actually go read more about Stokely Carmichael. I knew the name, but I didn't know a lot about his story. He is credited with starting the phrase... Black power, like he created that phrase, kind of like Black Lives Matter, how somebody started that. We don't even know who started that one, but we know Stokely started the, the saying, the phrase Black power, 
And if you can imagine back then in the 60s saying black power and how much it upset white people and male, some black people were upset too because they felt like it went against the movement, especially like the nonviolent. But to me, black power is a positive saying. It's more about us sticking together, being community, you know, doing business within our communities, uplifting, building, uplifting our community, building our community up. And just to me, it's more about a togetherness, a positivity. It's not like a white power where you feel like you're, the uh, superior race. I don't think that's what black powers meant. That's not what I've ever read it to be, but still it, it rubbed some people the wrong way. When that phrase first came out, I think now it's a little bit more accepted, but Bill Clinton, like I said, he took some shots. He was talking and in the speech, cause this is important to know too. Uh, John Lewis was part of the SNCC, which is like the, it was called the student nonviolent coordinating committee. So John Lewis was the, yes, he was the committee's chairman from 1963 to 1966. So after that, he lost the leadership um, in the SNCC to Stokely Carmichael. Now, this is important because he took over in 66. Now, Stokely came in. He was a little bit more militant than Lewis. Like I said, he started, he called, uh, started the phrase black power. He ended up being part of the Black Panthers as an ambassador or prime minister, I'm sorry. So he was ended, he ended up getting ousted from the SNCC um, in 1969 just because he became a little bit more militant, you know, and they, I think they felt like he was kind of kicking some of the white members out or making them feel uncomfortable. And, you know, we need white people as our allies. We need them down for the cause. So a lot of this was rubbing people the wrong way. And they finally got Stokely up out of there. And he changed his name later to Kwame Torre. And that was after uh, some of the leaders in Africa, because he had moved over there to Guinea. I think it's called Guinea. If, apologies if I'm wrong. But he moved there and took on the name Kwame Torre. And he passed away in, uh, I believe, 1998 at 57 from cancer, which he thinks was given to him by, you know, the government, which, hey, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. And this back then, definitely possible. Like I said, I, I think they've done a few things. But back to the story, Bill Clinton said, is speaking about John Lewis and all he's like, he's telling the story. So then he says, just three years later, he lost the leadership of SNCC to Stokely Carmichael because it was a pretty good job for a guy that young and come from Troy, Alabama. It must have been painful to lose. But he showed as a young man, there's some things that you just cannot do to hang on to a position. Um, because if you do, then you won't be who you are anymore. Clearly a shot at Stokely. And then he, he doubles down. He says more. He says, and I say there were two or three years where the movement went a little too far towards Stokely. But in the end, John Lewis prevailed. So it was just shots, shot after shot after shot. And this pissed a lot of people off because, one, you're at a funeral for John Lewis. It should be about John Lewis. There's no need to bring Stokely Carmichael into it. And, of course, you know, he's not here either. He's passed away. So you're bringing a dead person in. You're kind of taking shots at somebody who can't defend himself. And it just felt like he didn't need to do that. Like, it didn't have to go there. You could have said your nice words about John Lewis and kept it moving. Like, we... We would have appreciated the speech. It was a good speech up until he started taking shots at Stokely. But, you know, people were not happy about that. 
Um, and I actually was Googling the story because I wanted to talk about all this on the on the show. And a lot of the U.S. ones stayed away from it, from the drama. Now, this was mainly on Twitter. I, I was reading an article on the sun.uk or .co.uk. So it's like, you know, not from you at the U.S. It's over there in Europe where they, they're going to talk a little more freely about what's going on here. But maybe some people here uh, didn't want to upset you know, their, their political connects. So they didn't talk about it. The root, they addressed it on theirs. Uh, they said there was no reason for Clinton to invoke Stokely's good name in any of this. And they said it happened at a civil rights legends funeral. They described the remarks as bullshit. Also who uses a funeral to talk shit about someone, about someone else who was also doing the work. They said Bill Clinton has never been on the righteous side of right, and he couldn't even keep his pettiness out of a funeral speech. Yeah, they said that shit was written down and read out loud in front of black people there to honor a fallen hero. Yeah, they doubled down on that. Shout out to The Root, though. I appreciate that. Because I agree, and that I don't know if that's a black publication or not. It sounds like it is the way they were talking, but maybe not, you know. Um... Uh, there was a reporter from the New York Times Magazine named Ida, Ida B. Wells, Bay Wells. No, that's not her name. <laughs> that's somebody else. That's like a, a famous person. I'm sorry. I don't know who that is, who Ida B. Wells is. I think, I, oh, she calls herself Ida Bay Wells. You know, on, on Twitter, they'd be making up these own names, like a spinoff of somebody else's name, but making it kind of with their own take on it. So she put Bay, because I know there is an Ida B. Wells, and I don't remember what she's famous for, but I know she's famous. But this girl, or uh, this woman, I'm sorry. Sorry to all my uh, feminists out there. Green is not a creative color. So Nicole Hannah-Jones is the reporter's name, and she's with the New York Times Magazine. She tweeted, literally cringed. Stokely was radicalized differently after getting arrested for the 27th time fighting for civil rights in Greenwood. He decided from then on, if white people hit him, he was going to hit back. Both tactics had their place, but white people were only comfortable with one. Yeah, I guess I forgot to point that out, too, with Stokely, where he was arrested a lot over, like, 27. Like, it got up to, like, a high number. But she's saying after the 27th time is kind of when he changed and when he decided, yo, I'm going a little more radical. So, I, like I said, I agree with the, with the backlash. I don't think it was warranted for what Bill Clinton said. Uh, it sounded like he had a personal vendetta against Stokely. Like I said, some of these people from back then are still mad about Malcolm X and Stokely Carmichael, Fred Hampton, like some of the more radical people who spoke their minds. You know, they love Martin. Well, they love Martin now. They didn't even like Martin back then, but everybody loves him now. But they still hate the ones who were a little more radical. Like, you, like I said, can you imagine saying black power in the 60s? You say black power in the 60s? You already know what that's going to be met with. Like, they are not fitting to be for that movement. Back to the funeral, though. Barack Obama, shout out to him. <laughs> Former president Barack Obama gave the eulogy, and it was a great eulogy. It was one of those uh, classic Obama speeches where he got you, he got a little into it. He got you a little, a little hype, you know. He got you motivated. He was doing kind of the church pastor thing, and it was it was great. 
It was great. If you don't watch anything, I would say at least go back and watch the uh, Barack Obama eulogy because I thought he did a great, a great eulogy. Sent um, John Lewis off right, and yeah, I I thought it was a beautiful service. With that being said, we had another tragedy today. Former presidential nominee Herman Cain passed away today, and. I want to talk about this one because this seems to be kind of a, it it was like two sides. You know, you had the side of people who were sad and then you had the side of people who were like celebrating it. And it's kind of controversial with how he passed away. You know, he got coronavirus. People say he got it after attending a Trump rally. That was never confirmed. But the one in Tulsa that they had, he was there. And apparently he got it like a week or two or he tested positive like a week or two after that. So a lot of people were saying, well, he must have got it at the rally. We don't know where he got it, but he did get it. He passed away. Uh, He was 74 years old. So like like we all know by now, once you get the coronavirus, if you're up there in age, it's an uphill battle. Like you're not bouncing back like some of us younger people. I don't even know if I consider myself younger, but. Me at 70 is probably dealing with the virus a lot differently than me at 37, you know? So Herman Cain passed away, and a lot of the controversy surrounding it, you know, he was at the, not only was he at the rally, but he, like, flaunted that he didn't believe in the, you know, a lot of the the theories, a lot of what the doctors were saying. He thought it was a hoax. Uh, They show him at the rally with no mask. And just kind of, you know, acting like he's above it, you know, acting like he was above it. There, there is, there's a lot of tweets, a lot of tweets. And like I said, he was being a little reckless with it, but I still don't think that's a reason to, to celebrate somebody's death. Like I'm never going to say, oh, you're dumb or this and that. And just like some of the words I was seeing about Herman Cain and like people not having any empathy, any sympathy. It's like, bro, how do y'all like some of y'all say you're Christian and how do you claim to be a Christian and feel like somebody deserves to die? Even if they made a mistake, you know, even if he was wrong, which he was, how do you say somebody deserves to die after something like that? You know, Like, how do you feel good about yourself saying good? He got what he deserved and all of that. Like, I'm not even a big Herman Cain fan. I listened to his radio show. He used to have a radio show. And I actually, I shouted him out on on Facebook today because he had a radio show on one of those conservative networks. I think it was like 96.5 here. I don't know. It could have been somewhere else. But I had caught a a few shows and I liked it. Not because of his politics. But just because I thought he was entertaining, man, I thought he was super entertaining. He he kept my attention, which as somebody who's not conservative or considers himself a moderate is, is hard to do, you know, and I give props where props are due. Like I'll listen to some of these conservatives and I don't agree with a thing they say, like shout out to what's her name? Dana Lash. I think that's her name. I'll listen to her show. And she's just very entertaining. She doesn't say anything I agree with, but she does a good job of keeping me there, keeping me listening. And those are those are usually the best people where you 
I don't want to say I hate listen, but I listen because I want to hear what they have to say. And I know I'm not going to agree, but I still want to hear it. So Herman Kane on his radio show was kind of similar where he was just, he was able to say stuff and keep you engaged. And he was also very charismatic. So even like, I feel like I, I have some of those traits where somebody might not agree what I say, but they're going to listen to my show because I can keep their, their attention. And in this day and age, if you can keep somebody's attention, that's a big deal because people's attention spans are terrible. But I'm still, I, I have, like I said, I have compassion. I have empathy. So when he passed away, I posted that, you know, I was sad about it. I enjoyed his radio show. And I said some of the things I said on here, like charismatic and all that. And then you have people in here, comments, just like, glad he got it. And I'm just like, bro, like, how do y'all feel this way? Like, just because he's a Trump guy, you're you're going to say, oh, you glad somebody died? Like, no, I'm never going to be glad somebody died. I'm sorry. Like I said, I've said this on other episodes. Like, I'm pro-life, so I'm always going to be about somebody's life first. I never want to see somebody die. Now, there's instances... I guess where you can, where there's nuance where, Hey, somebody might be really sick and they don't want to be here anymore. And who am I to tell you when you're, you know, physically ill or something that you shouldn't be able to go early, you know, or who am I to tell somebody if you got raped, you shouldn't be able to get an abortion. So there's, there's instances like that. But when you just die over something like an illness and yes, you might've been, uh, you might not have been acting like, right. You might've been very hard headed and, and doing things that caused that illness to come to you. I'm still going to pray for you. I'm still going to be sad. If you pass away, like we all make mistakes in life. We all do stupid things. You think about the times you were kids and your parents tell you not to do something. And you do it like, or the stuff we do now <laughs> and we do, and we know it's bad. Like, Oh, you might sleep with somebody and you know, you're going to, regret it or you know it's not a good a, a smart decision you know you might you sleep with somebody without a condom right and you know there's a chance they can get pregnant and then they get pregnant like are we gonna be like oh you freaking idiot you know hey people make mistakes it's all good man like you still live to see another day but in this instance he didn't live to see another day and that's the sad part but i'm never gonna condemn you for making some type of mistake that costs your life now can we say, yes, that probably led to his death? Yeah, but we don't need to, like, beat it over, you know, beat over the head and keep going on and on. And some of the stuff I saw on Facebook was just kind of a bit much. And it's probably because he's a Republican. But, yeah, some people were just going a little too hard. They were mad about his policies, his politics. And for me, I was like, yo, I just enjoyed the radio show. It had nothing to do about his politics. I enjoyed the radio show. I felt like I had some type of connection to him because I listened to the show. So I posted. And sometimes I don't post when people pass just because I don't feel like I have a connection. But when I feel a connection, whether I listen to you or watch you on TV or your story just hit me, you know, I feel like I can post about that stuff. And it's not about me having an agenda or taking a side. It's just me being a human, man. So for all y'all that were celebrating his death and saying this is what you get and all that, bro, like y'all need to look in the mirror, man, because... I, for one, do not believe in, like, negative energy. I try to get away from it as much as possible. And I feel like when you say stuff like that, you bring that type of energy on yourself, that way of thinking. And I never want to be consumed with those thoughts. Like, you know, if I ever am, I try to get them out of my head. Or, you know, I don't want to be 
thinking about that type of stuff. Like, it's the same thing with, like, these fight videos where people will post a fight video and then they'll make fun of the person who gets beat up or somebody who gets hit. And it's just like, me personally, I put myself in that situation where it's like, if that was me, I wouldn't want people talking about me like that. So even if I was wrong in this situation, I don't want you to pile on. So I never even spread those videos. I don't even like to watch them. I hardly ever do. If I ever do is because I'm trying to get the story about, like it's a big news story. I need to know exactly what happened, but I try to avoid a lot of that negative stuff, man. And that's just about me too, growing as a person and just removing certain things from my life that might bring bad energy. And I think that stuff brings bad energy. I think it could be karma for you in the future too. When you take part in that, like you might celebrate Herman Cain's death because he did, he didn't wear a mask. And then what if one of your family members dies next week because of something they're at fault for, you know, you don't want nobody celebrating that. Right. It's just not, it's not right. I don't know how you feel good about yourself. I don't feel good about ever being happy for someone dying. So I I just think people need to do better. People need to look in the mirror and kind of change their attitudes. Like don't, even if somebody's wrong, like just don't pile on, man, have some, have some compassion, man. Just pray for the family. Like he has a lot of family members right now who are hurting. A lot of family members who are struggling with this because they lost a father, a dad, you know, a brother, a son, like cousin. Like a lot of them lost somebody. So you got to think about those people too, man, who are struggling with this. And let this be a wake-up call. Let this be a wake-up call to everybody who thinks the coronavirus is a hoax, that it's real, and that people who act like that, you know, it can happen to you. I got friends who who do the same type of thing who don't think it can ever happen. and. It might not happen to you, but it could happen to one of your older family members. So just just take it serious. That's all I can say, man. Wear your mask. Try to avoid these large crowds. I've already made changes to my life. I don't go out as much as I used to. I'm not. All right, we're back. I don't know what that was, bro. I thought my audacity crashed. This is a weird episode. It's going to be a lot of me editing. Who knows what what is messed up, what's here or not. But, uh, oh, I want to talk about this next story. Rest in peace to Garrett Foster. And, oh, rest in peace to Herman Cain if I didn't say it already. But rest in peace to him, too. Rest in peace to Garrett Foster, though, man. This was a super sad story coming out of Austin, Texas. It was a a white male married to a black woman who's a quadriplegic. Uh, She had some type of disease when she was younger while they were dating. They had been together 17 years, and she had to have both her legs amputated. But he stayed with her. Uh, It was like her caretaker, you know, watched over her and just protective and got very involved in the whole Black Lives Matter movement because he was married to a black woman or engaged. I don't think they were married yet. I think they said it was his fiance, Whitney Mitchell is her name. And they were at a a protest in Austin. And this is where the story gets kind of murky, but they were, it was a large group of people walking um, across the street in a crosswalk and a car comes trying to make a right turn. And I guess the, the people were in the way. I don't know. There's, there's, we'll, we'll get into it in a minute, but the car goes to make the right turn, almost hits the protesters, allegedly, and I guess they surround the car and they start banging. You know, you've seen protests like this already where people surround the car and they're banging and kind of yelling. And this guy pulls out the gun and shoots Garrett Foster. That's kind of the overview of the story. Now, this is where there's a lot of different he said, she said, and who knows what the real story is. They say... According to the shooter, he said Garrett Foster pointed a gun at him. Garrett Foster was a uh, licensed gun owner. 
who was allowed to carry, and he had an AK-47, I believe, with him. I don't know what the gun the other guy had, but Garrett Foster was open carrying. So clearly the driver saw that he had the gun. Now, whether he pointed it at him or not is a different story. That part, we don't really know the details. Also, there's people who are saying that Garrett Foster didn't point the gun at the guy and that the other guy initiated everything, instigated it. And I guess once the people were banging on his car, they're saying he just pulled out a gun and shot. But Foster was the only one that got hit. And I believe he was shot like three times, but he died. And it's just sad. It's super sad because you're leaving a fiance, you're leaving a family. Um, you know, he has mother and father and he's leaving everybody. And it's just senseless how it happened. And then the more you read about it, you don't really know what happened, what the real story is. Cause there's like, Oh, did he pull the gun on the guy? Did he not? Like there's so many different sides. Like I saw the dude on CNN the other day who was saying Foster didn't pull the gun. But then there's, I guess, other people saying he did. I don't know. I don't know what to believe in that one. I just know it's a super sad story because you're with uh, someone you love for 17 years, man, and to die at a rally where you're fighting for, like, black lives and a cause and you don't want to see this stuff happen, that's the part that really hurt me. It was a hard story to read and comprehend and just understand why it happened. I, I don't get it. I'm still confused over it. All I can say is I don't like guns, man. I'm like anti-gun. I'm not like take your gun away. I'm not the type that wants to take everybody's gun. But me personally, I don't like guns. They make me nervous. I don't like being around people with guns just for instances like that because you don't know how other people are going to act. I don't know. I can't control anybody's mind but my own. So when I'm around others and just knowing that they could set it off at any moment, it makes me nervous, man. So... I try to avoid being around guns. That's why I'm kind of skeptical or kind of scared kind of to go to some of these rallies. Even though I went to the one here in Titusville, but I was nervous, you know, because you never know what's going to happen. And then you're around, we're here in Texas and it's open carry. And you got people like, it's just normal to have a gun in Texas walking around. Like I can tell you, I worked in Texas for two months last year. Everywhere I went, there's somebody with a gun. You go to Walmart, they got the security guard who's strapped. You go to Target, they're strapped. Freaking Panera Bread, they're strapped. Like, the phone store, everywhere you go, there's somebody with a gun. And those are just the security people. But then you got regular people who could just walk around with the guns in Texas. So you're at a rally. Everybody has a gun. But that's the thing that kind of neutralizes it. Like, when you have the gun and somebody else doesn't, you're more in control. When you have a gun and somebody else has a gun, it neutralizes everything. No one's really in control at this moment. And if the gun gets fired... You know, it can still be, it can still hurt you. And I always make this point to people, and I want y'all to really listen to this because this is probably the biggest point I can make in the whole gun debate. Because everybody always says that they have a gun for protection. They're going to protect themselves, blah, blah, blah. And you might, you might protect yourself. But the argument or the point I always want to make to people is plenty of people have died with that gun on them. And we just saw that in this in this situation where Garrett Foster had the AK-47 and he still got shot. Like, the gun didn't protect him. So just because you have a gun does not ever mean that you're going to be protected. Like, just because you have a gun doesn't mean the person that you're beefing with or the person you got an altercation with doesn't have a gun. You know, once both y'all have a gun, it's, it's like the wild, wild west. Like, it's like whoever shoots the, that person first is going to win. 
it's not like a fight where it's going to get settled, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's all about who fires first, really, when you have a gun. So that's why I stay away. I've said it before, too. Having a gun, shooting a gun and killing somebody is just not. Yeah, you might feel good in the moment, but all the stuff you deal with after that, going to court, fighting the charges, your name is muddied. You know, you killed somebody with your gun like you saw it. So you might have PTSD. So to me, all the aftermath of firing a gun is just not worth it, man. So that's why I steer clear. Uh, when I know somebody has a gun and they're going to be somewhere, I, I don't go. I know I've been in places where people had it. And normally, if you don't tell me, I'm good. Once you tell me, I get a little nervous. I get a little uncomfortable. But normally, I can be cool in those situations. But I try to avoid it, man. Especially these rallies, like the large ones, I'm, I'm just hesitant to go to. I think I'm scared more of the gun situation than like catching the, the coronavirus. I'm scared of being in large gatherings just because I don't know who's strapped and who isn't. And then somebody who has a gun, I don't, I can't trust that you know how to act properly, right? I can't trust that you have a gun and one simple argument is not going to lead you firing the gun. Like there's a lot of people who once there's some type of altercation before it even gets physical, they're going to shoot you. And that's the stuff I'm scared of. That's the stuff I want to stay away from. Because I'm the type, look, you tell me you have a gun, I'm walking away. I'm not even staying to argue with you. There's nothing to argue about. I'm not trying to win any argument. If I know you have a gun and I know I can get shot, I'm leaving the situation. Now, if I have a gun, that might escalate the situation. And I feel like that's the problem with guns. Because say this guy didn't have a gun, right? Say um, Garrett Foster did not have a gun. Now, this other dude does all this, uh, tries to run them over, whatever. He might, maybe he pulled the gun out. Now, from the what it sounds like, though, it sounds like he just pulled the gun out and started firing. What if Gary Foster didn't have the gun? Does this guy pull out his gun and start firing immediately? Or is it more of a back and forth argument? Is he pulling the gun out to show y'all, like, hey, I got this on me? Because I always think, I always think that's the thing. Like, if somebody has a gun, my thing is just show me. I will walk away once I see it. Like, I always think it's more respectful to wave the gun, even though some people think that's crazy, like when somebody waves a gun at you. I'm always happy when somebody waves the gun because it means they didn't shoot the gun. They're just waving it, and they're warning you. Now, what you do after that warning is on you. But when they wave it, I usually know I need to walk away. But when you have, when two people have a gun, there's usually not going to be a lot of waving. Somebody's probably pulling their gun out to shoot, and I will say this, if that guy shot Garrett Foster and Garrett Foster did not point the gun at him, he should have been arrested. He should have been arrested already, but of course he has not been arrested. And it feels like favoritism. I don't know if he's white or black, but I'm willing to guess. Let's just say I'm willing to guess that he is white because if he's black, I feel like he would have got arrested, right? Is that fair to say? I feel like he would have. I don't know how y'all feel. But I'm just going to go on out on a limb and say the shooter was white. So in that instance, like I said, if, if Garrett Foster did not point the gun at him, this guy is totally in the wrong. If Garrett Foster pointed the gun at him, then there's an argument. And it's like, we don't know who's wrong. That needs to be debated in court. But without if Garrett Foster pointed the gun at him, it's probably not even going to court. And I know a lot of people are not going to be happy with that. But that's just kind of how this stand your ground thing works. Like, we couldn't even... We couldn't get George Zimmerman convicted and Trayvon Martin didn't even have a gun. So it's going to be harder to get a conviction when somebody else has a gun. And then, you know, they got some video clips of him saying different things about wanting to be out there. 
and why he's carrying the gun. And apparently recently he had bought that AK-47 at um, in June. So he didn't even have it long. Well, he was open, open carrying. And like I said, the shooter knew he had it. So that shooter had to have been comfortable firing that gun in that instance. I don't know, though. He said he feared for his life. People said that, that the gun wasn't pulled. So that's where it gets tricky. But also one thing I wanted to know is they say he was making a right turn into the crosswalk. I was curious to know. Was the crosswalk sign on? Because in most states, if people are in the crosswalk and it has the little walk symbol, you're not allowed to turn until everybody's crossed. So if that was the case, I think he should be, I don't know if you can arrest him for that, but he should be ticketed or charged with something for that alone. And then maybe you can like work your way up to him starting it and being the aggressor. But if that crosswalk light was on, He's not even allowed to make that right-hand turn until everybody's out of the crosswalk. Trust me, I know, because I've gotten that ticket before. Now, if they have the hand light, from my understanding of the law, if it's the hand and people are still in the crosswalk, you're allowed to, you're legally allowed to make that turn because they're in there illegally. But I haven't heard much about the actual crosswalk sign and were they crossing legally, were they not? I'm going to say if it was a protest, I don't know if they were following all the rules. Maybe they weren't, but... I'm interested to know that part and who kind of is to blame as far as the crosswalk thing goes, because that's kind of what set everything off. But it's a sad story. Nonetheless, like I said, Garrett Foster is gone. His fiance is left here by herself, or I'm sure she has family and stuff that she can lean on, but her other half is not here. They've been together 17 years and that's a tough situation, man. It's a tough situation when you're going into a protest and trying to do the right thing. And then you end up with, in a situation like that where somebody dies. And we've seen other situations where people have gotten hit and run over at these protests. And as much as I want to fight the cause and be out there on the front lines, like you just got to kind of know which way you like. You got to not pick and choose your battles, but you have to understand that stuff can happen at these protests and just be OK with that before you go out there. Like we've seen a lot of terrible things at these protests. And like I said, like when I went out to mine, I knew it could go down, but I still felt like I needed to do it. So you got to know that you're down, truly down for the cause before you go to one of these things. And it's sad, man. It's sad. I hope we'll learn from this. Uh, Just like the Herman Cain thing. I just hope people learn. I hope people know. I, I just hope people learn not to be so quick to fire the gun. You know, even if you have it, don't just hold off on firing it, man. Unless your life is truly in danger, which this driver claims it was. I still don't know if I believe that. I believe that he felt he was in danger because everybody was banging on the car. And then he probably saw uh, Garrett Foster with his AK-47 strapped around his shoulder. And maybe he was holding it. And he thought, oh, he could just, you know, pull it and aim it real quick. Because if you ever notice, like when police come to talk to you, like when they pull you over, when they walk up to you, they always have their hand on their gun, right? Most of the time, I ain't gonna say always, but a lot of times you'll see it. Just just look at whenever you see a police approaching somebody, they usually have the hand on the gun just in case something happens, they're ready to go. But they're not coming up to you normally pointing it in your face. Now there are times where y'all police officer wild and you're doing that, but there's times where they're just walking up, but it's the hands on the gun just because they got to be ready to react in case something happens. So I think, Without being there, but with everything I've read, I think Garrett Foster had his hand on his gun. I think it was pointed at the ground. 
And I think the driver took it as a threat and still shot him. And for that, he should be charged. I think that's more second degree. I don't think that's first, but he should be charged. And at this point, they won't even release his name. They won't say who he is. They hasn't been arrested. So the police are taking their sweet time with this one. Hopefully we can get more, more evidence out of it. Maybe there's, I've seen some video, but it's just grainy. You can't really tell what's really happening. You just hear the sounds, but maybe we'll get more witnesses to talk about it and we can get a resolution to this case. But in the meantime, rest in peace, Garrett Foster prayers to uh, all your friends and family who are dealing with this uh, unbearable loss right now, unspeakable loss and just all around sad situation. The next thing I want to talk about is I saw something on Facebook. I saw something on Facebook about black businesses. And it just led me to ask this question because it was like one of those like complaining posts, which it seems like anytime you see people yelling or going off about these businesses, about black businesses, like it's just always negative. Like we don't really, I don't feel like we have a lot of positivity when it comes to our own businesses. And I feel like that's mainly a black thing. I feel like we're very negative towards our own black businesses. And then when we're negative, uh, white people are going to see that. And they're going to probably be negative or they're not even going to rock with the black business. So it just led me to the question of why do we complain so much about black businesses, but we allow other businesses to get away with the same stuff. Like case in point, we'll be mad at, an, at the person at the counter at the black business because they have an attitude. But then like you'll go to the Chinese restaurant where they got the same attitude but because them chicken wings is fire, you still going to order, right? But for the black business, you trashing it. you like, I'm never going back, blah, blah, blah. But like I said, the, some of these other businesses will get treated, like we'll get followed, not in the Chinese restaurant, but other ones. We'll get followed around. They'll profile us. They're rude to us. They don't look like they really want to help us. And we still patronize. We still spend our money there. And we're still giving them like, our business but when it comes to the black business we're just so quick to cut them off and i don't understand why we treat our own like that but with other businesses we're more lenient we let them get away with more i hope that will start to change i hope we'll realize that we have a lot more power and our dollar holds more weight and the only reason i can think about why we're like this i think it probably just has something to do with the way we're conditioned where we kind of, I don't want to say now, let me, let me see. Let me, let me think about this. I don't want to say that we, we see black people as less than like, that. We see ourselves as less than cause we don't, I don't, but I think we see, sometimes we see black businesses as less than right. I don't think it's mean necessarily, but I think a lot of, a lot of black people see black businesses as less than, where maybe they don't think their products are up to par. They don't think there's, well, I don't even think it's a service thing, honestly. I think people don't like the products and then they tie that into the service or they're so hard on the products. And a lot of these black businesses, what you got to understand is when you're just starting out, you can't expect these businesses to have the same level of quality as some of these brands, these major brands that have been here for hundreds of years. Like, you got to allow the business to build up. We got to be patient with our black businesses, allow them to build up so they can get to a level where those products are quality and better quality. 
And we just got to be more patient with them. And I don't think we have the patience to let these businesses grow. I think that's what it comes down to. I think it's the patience. I think it's the expectations. I don't know if it's because we're black, but we, I think we expect more out of black businesses. I think we expect unrealistic things out of black businesses. Like think about how many times you've gone to a black business that maybe is your friend or your family member and you want the hookup instead of paying like full price, right? You want them to hook you up. You want them to kind of give you a discount. Like you don't treat them like you would treat the white business, right? You, you treat them more like a family member or something than you do the actual business. And I feel like we don't treat our black businesses the same way we treat white and other businesses. Like we don't have that same level of respect. Uh, we don't, we don't go in there with the same, the same, uh, expectations. And I think that's why we complain a lot about these black businesses because the expectations are unrealistic. You know, you're not going in Chick-fil-A asking for a hookup unless you know somebody who works there, but you're not just going in there expecting them to be above and well, they are above and beyond the service, but you're not expecting a handout. And I think at the black businesses, we expect that. And I think that's part of the problem. And I know I'm coming off as super Republican right now, and I don't want to be Republican. I've never voted Republican in my life, but I'm just being real with y'all. I think we treat the black businesses different, and I think it's unrealistic. I think we need to be more understanding, especially the ones that are just starting out, and grow with them, man. Help them grow. Tell them some things they can work on if they're making mistakes. But don't trash them, man. You don't have to go online and trash them. If they do something that's unfavorable, tell them, man, private. But when we trash them, I feel like white people look too and it goes, it, it kind of affects how they treat the business and then they don't support it. So we're the ones, and this is what we need to realize. Black, as black people, we are the ones that make everything hot. We make things popping, man. If we say that business is dope and we say that they got the fire products and we're supporting them, everybody going to support them. We do that with everything, man. We All these name brands, these designer brands, these Gucci and Louis and all that. Like, We're the ones that make that cool for everybody to do. We're the reason they put rims on cars now, all these new cars. like, We were buying cars and putting our own rims on them to make them look cool because the stock stuff was corny and it looked like trash. Now all these new cars got nice rims because that's something we started doing. And I feel like we can have that impact in everything, especially black businesses. I remember Taxstone talking about this a while back about how FUBU and how he was so mad that FUBU never really popped like it should have because we started talking bad about FUBU and making fun of people for wearing FUBU. And then we made it uncool to wear FUBU, which was a black owned business. It was called For Us By Us. And we made it so uncool to wear FUBU that nobody wanted to rock FUBU because they would get made fun of. And then, of course, FUBU went out of business or whatever. I don't even know. Maybe they're somewhere in a different country still prospering, but. We kind of destroyed FUBU on our own. It wasn't white people that did it. It was us. And we just got to get out of that mentality of where we make our stuff uncool. Like, fam, we are the we are the gatekeepers in this. We're the ones who, who decide if something's rocking or not. We make something popping or not, right? We made hip-hop the number one genre of music. Like, when we say something's hot, everybody else is going to follow. So we need to do that with our own businesses, man. We need to support them, be a little stronger in the community. Stop trashing them. Like I said, if you got an issue, talk to them privately, but don't go online and do it because you're affecting business sales and people are going to follow our leads. And that's all I got to say about that one. Let me get to a lighter topic now. 
So we got the NBA season starting tonight, actually. The Pelicans played the Utah Jazz. All of them took a knee uh, during the national anthem, referees included, and the coaches, which is very surprising. But shout out to all them. That's not really what I'm here to talk about, though. I'm, not, I'm here to talk about my Portland Trailblazers, who are starting back, tipping off tomorrow against the Memphis Grizzlies, which is a big game, man. We starting out strong because the Grizzlies are right now in the seed, so we're chasing them. Uh, it's only eight games, so every game to me is a must win. But the Blazers are playing tomorrow night or tomorrow afternoon. I don't even know. I'll be at work, so I'm not going to see it regardless. But I just wanted to kind of give a preview of what to expect when they resume the season. So if you're not really in the basketball talk, just skip like the next five minutes because I'm going to get real nerdy. But with that being said, I am excited about the return of Yusuf Nurkic, uh, our starting center. Big addition. He broke his leg like over a year ago, so he's been out for the whole year. Missed the season, the beginning of this season. And this this kind of corona thing was a blessing for him because it allowed him to recover more. He was going to try to come back in March. A lot of people thought that was too early. So now he's coming back at the right time. He's fully healthy. He looks great in the uh, scrimmages and the practices. So far, he looks uh, a little more mobile, a little agile. And he makes so much of a difference with this team, and I'm going to tell you why. So Hassan Whiteside was starting at center before. Now we have Nurk back. Nurk mans the paint. Um, probably more of a post-up presence than Whiteside. But Nurk, the thing with Nurk is, is two things that make a big difference with him. He's a wide body. Pause if I need to. But he has like a wide base, which in basketball means you're kind of hard to move. If you're like bigger in the legs and the lower body, those are usually the people you can't move because their base is so strong. So with Nurk, that wide base is good in the, in the post because he kind of takes up so much space, especially for rebounds and clogging the paint when needed, but also when he sets the screens. Like, Hassan Whiteside is a terrible screen setter. So with Nurk, what I expect to happen is Nurk is so good at setting screens, you're going to get a lot more open looks at threes for Dame and CJ, uh, maybe even GT2, Gary Trent Jr. when he's in there. But it's just going to open up a lot more looks for people. Then you have him taking up space in the paint as far as rebounding goes, um, moving his man out the way, coming over to block shots. He's a great shot blocker. Whiteside's a great shot blocker, too. I think the difference with Nurk and Whiteside, though, I think Whiteside's more of a great weak side shot blocker, and Nurk is just a great shot blocker, period, because of his timing. He has great timing. So if his man's going up against him, he's good at blocking because he can time it. Whiteside more weak side. Uh, so, like I said, you're going to have the difference there with the screens, the one-on-one -on -one defense in the post. And then with Nurk, another underrated thing about him is his passing. So, we're going to have Nurk's passing ability out of the high post where you give him the ball and then you let somebody cut to the hoop and he's able to find them cutting for, like, an easy layup, easy basket. We didn't get that with Whiteside. Whiteside was kind of scared to throw those risky passes where Nurk, Nurk is not scared to throw, man. He just... He's kind of like, wow, he'll throw the pass, whatever. He don't care. And I love that about him. And then we also had a return to Zach Collins at power forward, which now moves Melo to the small forward. Zach Collins, to me, is a little too skinny to play center, 
but is perfect for power forward because he's another seven footer, but he has even more agility than Nurk. He moves better. He can guard probably the two and the three if needed. And he guards the four, the five on occasion he can do. Uh, he can he can stretch it to the four as a, as a power forward and hit the three. And he's probably our best defender when it comes to the big men. Just because of, he's more versatile than them. So you put him and Nurk together. And that uh, Portland had a terrible defense with these two out when it was just Whiteside and Mellow. The defense was terrible. Now, Whiteside says part of that reason is because he could not be as aggressive on the picks as far as coming up to show and, and stop his man. He had to fall back all the time. We'll see if that changes tomorrow. Um, but moving to Mellow, moving Mellow to small forward, I think is going to be a problem defensively for us. I don't think he can keep up with most small forwards. So having Nurk and Whiteside back, or Nurk and Zach Collins back there to help is going to make a huge difference. And then Stotts is also talking about playing Nurk and Whiteside together, which I don't think is a good idea. I don't think it's the time right now to be experimenting with this Twin Towers lineup. It didn't look good in the scrimmages, and I think it's going to present a lot of problems if we do it. And we might be out of this thing quick if Stotts gets hard-headed with that. So hopefully he does not try to do that lineup too much. I would limit it maybe five five minutes a game if you need to. Um, if you want to stagger it with a little bit of Zach Collins in there, do what you got to do. But I wouldn't do too much of the Twin Tower lineup. I do expect the Portland Trailblazers to make the playoffs, though. I expect them to make the playoffs. I expect them to make noise in the playoffs. I'm not going to lie. I actually think if they make the playoffs, they could win the championship. And I want to get this on record because if it happens, I want to have something I can go back to. And shout out to Carryon Johnson, the running back for the Detroit Lions. He said before, this, like earlier in the season, that he thought Portland was going to win the championship. So I tweeted him today, and I was like, yo, you still think they're going to win the championship? And he tweeted back. He was like, facts. So shout out to Carryon Johnson. You heard me in uh, fantasy, but I'm rocking with you on that one, man. I'm rocking with you on that, and I look forward to – I don't know if I'll be able to watch any of these games, but I look forward to following them and seeing if the stuff I said that could happen with this team or what the uh, strengths and weaknesses are, if that's really going to be true. Because like I said, the scrimmages didn't really – it showed that the Nurk and Whiteside thing didn't work, but we also didn't have Dame for two of those games. You know, CJ didn't play in one or two of those. You know, CJ didn't play in one. Dame didn't play in two. Uh, we didn't have the full lineup, so interested to see how it is tomorrow. Stotts is going to have to go full full throttle tomorrow, man. We can't arrest anybody. We only have eight games to prove ourselves, and we're down three and a half to the Grizzlies, but the way they have it set up is the eighth and ninth seeds to have to play each other at the end to make the playoffs. So as long as we're in that, that eight or nine, man, we're good money. We're good money. We still have a chance. So looking forward to that. Go Blazers. Uh, Portland. The city is kind of on fire right now. They're wilding. I don't know too much about it, so I can't. I don't want to say too much, but I know they're. They've been protesting for like two months straight. Which, if you've ever been to Portland, that's not surprising. That's like one of the most liberal cities I've ever been to. One of the most down for the cause places. I mean, they got their white supremacists too, but that's a pretty overall, pretty liberal city. So shouts to them. Shouts to Portland. I got a message now. I got a message, and I'm already over an hour. I didn't expect to talk this much, but it's keeping it real with Jerry Lawrence. And once I get on this microphone, man, I do not know how to stop. But I got a message to everyone who says 
what about Chicago and what about black on black crime whenever we try to talk about like moving forward and pushing these issues? All right. So first of all, to the what about Chicago people? Do y'all know how stupid y'all sound? That's what I just want to say. Like when y'all bring up one place and what about Chicago? Like every black person lives in Chicago. We don't live in Chicago. All right. Yes, there's crime in Chicago, but there's not a lot we can do about it. We talk about it within our communities. There's definitely uh, stop the violence rallies and there's all types of this stuff. But when we're talking about a global issue and y'all want to talk about one damn city and the problems that are going on in that city, it just sounds ridiculous, man. And I don't think, I don't think y'all know how crazy y'all be sounding when y'all hit us with all this. What about Chicago? What about this? And what about that? Like, fam, we know about Chicago. All right. We're aware about what's going on in Chicago. We are. Trust me. All right. We're, we're trying to fix that issue, too. But this police violence thing is a big issue, too. It's a national issue. It's not a Chicago issue. So, yes, we are more focused right now on the national than the state level, than the city level, all right? Chicago's a problem. Nobody's not, nobody's saying it isn't. And we'll get to that at some point. But all y'all, what about Chicago people? Like, fam, we know about Chicago. We're aware. We know it's a problem, all right? We're working on that. But this other stuff is national, man. This is stuff we're trying to uh, eradicate, all right? We're talking about people who are paid to do their job Versus people who are just citizens. And you're trying to compare somebody who makes forty, fifty thousand dollars a year to do a job to somebody who's not paid not to kill, right? Like I can't I can tell somebody not to kill somebody and we can hold them accountable with jail, but when you're paid to do something, I feel like the accountability is a little higher. I feel like the expectations are higher. So when y'all try to compare somebody who's paid to somebody who's not, it just looks silly, man. It looks silly, and it's the same about black-on-black violence. It's like, y'all want to bring up black-on-black violence like we are the only ones out here killing each other. Like, white people out here killing each other, too, man. We just had a really bad uh, murder where three people were murdered in Florida last week in Frostproof. Nobody said, what about white-on-white violence? Why? Because we know these are isolated incidents. Like, when you guys lump all this Chicago and black-on-black stuff in, y'all talking about people like us, like, you lumping people like me who don't come from any of those environments who are not part of any of that. And you expect me to have answers where, yes, we want to try to fix it, but like you're, you're trying to act like we're all that and we're not. That's kind of like the generalizing where they act like black people are all the same, man. Like Chicago is Chicago, but we're all going through these, these police issues all over the country. I know there's black on black violence all over the country, but there's a lot of black people, too, who aren't killing people. Like, there's a lot of college-educated, well-off, well-rounded people, even those who aren't college-educated. There's just a lot of good black people out there. And when y'all want to bring up black-on-black violence, y'all, y'all lump us all in there with these people instead of seeing us as people. As this, Let me just say this. Because I feel like when y'all lump us in with the, with the black-on-black crime people, but y'all want to act like we don't, we are not the same people who can get targeted by the police. That's the problem, man. That's the problem because y'all think when people are getting harassed by the police, it's just 
people who have done crimes. And we're trying to tell y'all, no, it's it's regular ass black people like myself and my friends who who are in these situations getting racially profiled, getting pulled over, and we could be killed like that too. So we're fighting for that because we know we could be that person. Now we could also be the victim of black on black crime too. But we just know in our surroundings and where we're at, like a lot of us that don't live in bad areas, we can get stopped by the police in those nice areas too. And that's kind of stuff we'd be fighting for. Whereas y'all want to act like all the black people live in the ghetto and all this, it are always around crime and it's always black, all this black on black crime going on. And it's not everywhere. Like there's a lot of places where there's not crime, you know, that's what white people need to understand. And some of y'all black people who say, what about Chicago? Like there's so many black places that don't have crime. So we're fighting for us too. Cause we got to deal with the BS in these nice neighborhoods, right? We got to deal with BS from a different side from our racist ass neighbors and the police who want to follow us. Like we're dealing with other things. Yeah. We want to try to fix Chicago too, but we got to worry about our, our problems too. And y'all want to just talk about Chicago when we trying to tell y'all, no, we going through some stuff in our neighborhoods too. So I just want y'all to know how stupid you guys sound when you always talk about what about Chicago? What about black on black crime? Like not every black person is dealing with that stuff. Just like not every white person is dealing with white on white crime. Like y'all got y'all own issues y'all dealing with outside of the crime and outside of violence in, in, in some of these cities. Cause there's white cities where the drugs are high and, and there's a lot of violence there, but we're not bringing that up. Anytime y'all talk about somebody that died, when y'all want to talk about like different things, somebody who's sick or has cancer or something, we're not talking about, well, what about this? Or what about that? Like somebody has breast cancer. Well, well, what about the, the person with colon? Like, we're not doing that. Right. When I say, what about the person with colon cancer? We're talking about, we focus on your issue. So when we bring up an issue, don't move the goalposts. Don't talk about something else. Talk about what we want to talk about or listen to us on what we want to talk about, but don't try to tell us what would, what we need to be focused on. Cause we know about these other issues and we'd be trying to get to them. That's the thing. Like, y'all don't realize how much, how many times we have discussions and rallies and we are trying to bring peace to these neighborhoods, thinking of stuff we can do, putting these community centers in, trying to stop the violence, talking to these kids, mentoring. People don't see that. They only see when the bad stuff happens or when we bring up something that else is happening and you want to point back to that because you heard it on the news. And y'all got to stop doing that, man. Y'all got to stop doing that because it's just silly. All right, what's going on with this damn coin shortage, right? Why is it when I go to Wawa, they talking about, please don't use coins or don't hit us with the large bill where you're going to need 90 cents and change back. Don't hit us with the $1 or the $2 on the $1.10, you know, purchase. Why is everybody so scared about giving me some change back, right? I did some research because I didn't understand it. What I've gathered is during the pandemic, a lot of people either weren't shopping or if they were shopping, they were using credit cards a lot. There was not a lot of cash being uh, exchanged, a lot, which means there was not a lot of change being exchanged. So because of all this, they say a lot of these places started becoming short on change. And then the place that makes the coins, uh, the mitts or whatever they are called, I think it's called the mitts. The Miz, the Mitz, something like that. But they weren't, um, they didn't have all their workers working during the pandemic. They were cutting back. 
So the coins weren't being made at the speed they should have been made at. And because of all this, then we had like the shortages that led to all these shortages where banks weren't getting all the coins they needed. Stores weren't getting them. Like it just was like a trickle down domino effect. So all y'all who think they're trying to move to a digital currency, I didn't really find a lot of proof on that. Now they, that still might be the plan. That still might be what they're trying to do, but I couldn't prove it. Personally, I don't think they're trying to move to the digital currency. I really think they just ran out of coins for the reasons I said, not enough people working at the little coin place and people not using coins. Cause everybody, all these uh, businesses were, were encouraging us to use our, our credit cards now. Cause they like, feel like if you give a bill or a coin, they get, they can catch the COVID off of that. So, I thought that was part of the problem and that might've led to some of this. So y'all might just want to chill out. All right. We don't have a coin shortage, but we do have a coin shortage, but it's not like a conspiracy. I know y'all want the conspiracy with everything. I am not buying it yet. Let me see a little bit more and I might be with y'all, but right now I'm not there with the conspiracy. And if you guys have coins, stop hoarding. All right. Empty the piggy bank, take it to the bank. Empty it. Get your bills. Like, nobody needs all these coins anymore just sitting at home. We're all grown. Let's empty it. If you have kids, you can keep it. A reasonable size piggy bank, though. You don't need the big old jug, the water jug filled with pennies and nickels and dimes. Like, you don't need that. But if you got the little can for your little kids to get candy money, all right, that's fine. But just don't overdo it. All right? Don't overdo it. I'm about to, I'm about to get off of here, but I want to leave y'all with one more quote. All right. This is kind of like a positive way to end. So I saw this quote on Instagram today. And I want to say it because it's it came from a page called Inner Spiritual. So hopefully this will like help people who are dealing with this or the way they see the world. And y'all, yeah, just listen to what I gotta say. And if you agree with it, let me know. If you follow me on like Instagram or Facebook, you probably see me post it because I thought it was so dope. I shared it on both formats today, both uh, platforms. So it says, you're holding a cup of coffee when someone comes along and bumps into you, making you spill your coffee everywhere. Why did you spill the coffee? You spilled the coffee because there was coffee in your cup. Had there been tea in the cup, you would have spilled tea. The point is, whatever the cup is what will spill out. Therefore, when life comes along and shakes you, which will happen, whatever is inside you will come out. It's easy to fake it until you get rattled. So we have to ask ourselves, what's in my cup? When life gets tough, what spills out? Joy, gratefulness, peace and humility? Or does anger, bitterness, harsh words and reactions come out? You choose. Today, let's work towards filling your, our cups with gratitude, forgiveness, Joy, words of affirmation, kindness, gentleness, and love for others. I just think that's such a dope quote because we all walk around with something in us, whether you're happy all the time or you're upset or sad or angry. And like at some point, those feelings are going to come out. So it's like, man, just try to think positively. Or if you're not thinking positively, be ready to share with the thoughts you're having because it's going to come out at some point, right? You're going to, you can't hold it in forever. There's going to be some type of tragedy, uh, some type of life event, but there's going to be something that brings that feeling out of you. 
So I want everybody to just try to focus on being more positive and being thankful for like being alive and stuff like that. Because whatever you feel inside will eventually come out. And I ain't really got to say much more on it because I think the quote did a good job of saying it. And I'm about to wrap this show up. I want to play, I think I'm going to play Jack Harlow. I'm going to play Jack Harlow to wrap it up because uh, he's the one who got Lou Williams in trouble for posting a picture at Magic City of Lou Williams when he was supposed to be quarantining or he was supposed to be in Atlanta for a funeral and he ended up in Magic City. Lou Williams claims he was there for the, the chicken wings, but I don't know. I don't know, man. Jack Harlow kind of got him in trouble with that one. He tried to walk it back, but it was too late. But in honor of uh, Jack messing up the NBA season a little bit, I'll play one of his songs for you guys. This is called Through the Night. It features Bryson Tiller. Uh, this is Keeping It Real with Jerry Lawrence. I'll be back next, I don't know, like Thursday. Probably Wednesday. No, probably Thursday because I got something to do Wednesday. So I'll probably be back Wednesday. My apologies tonight, too, if this was not a good episode. I don't know how it's going to sound when I play it back or when you guys listen to it. I don't feel like I'm on my A game tonight. Maybe because it's super hot in here and it's like 1 o'clock in the morning and I'm thinking about food that I need to go eat before I go to bed. And it's just a lot going on. But I am grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm, I have a lot of gratitude. I'm still going to fill myself with happy thoughts. So... Don't let it get you down, guys. If you're going through something, this is Keeping It Real with Jerry Lawrence. We'll be back next week. This is Jack Harlow featuring Bryson Tiller through the night. Through the night. She just want to tip, no advice. On the side of the road, what's the risk? Roll the dice. If they catch us, I don't care, because we all going to die. Yeah, we all gon' die. I was worried to be honest, but it's all going right. When I first laid eyes, I was awful enticed. And I might be off something, but I'm all in now. She got a car in now. I don't think that you should work tomorrow. She said, first of all, I'm still going in like rich homie Quine, but with you and me, God, man, it feels so intense. I already seen that movie, but I will go again with you. I got a few I've been tending to, but tonight, I forgot all about them. Try to get it tonight Hit a phone on my head Like you better do right I'm alone in the bed Yeah, I know what you said Better call with it Don't take me for a joke And I won't get a friend That's trying to be more than that I'm convinced that it's sort of that But when I see you in the pits I can tell you it's forcing that I got time for this Minus the bullshit I'm cool now Look at my common sense And I'm just realizing this Know my soul isn't trapped But what's holding me back Is the old me in fact I'ma get intact I'ma get it back Mama hold me to that Just, just, just hold me to that Don't stab me and Jack Got the city on smack That's worth that's words to catch 18 all the way to Newburgh. It was only me and her, I don't care what you heard. Only me and her, I don't care what you heard. Got a sudden accent, she'll slur a few words. That's virtue, sir. Let me share a few words. Hey, let me share a few words. Feeling unappreciated, let me cherish you first. Yeah.